All the years I spent working as a clinician, I've always been amazed by the body's ability to preserve cerebral blood flow. That is, the blood supply to your brain. Even in the face of systemic shock, hyperperfusion, infection, and even end of life, your body is hardwired to ensure the last thing it sacrifices is brain function. In this episode, we'll explore the anatomical marvel that is cerebral blood supply. I'm sure you don't need me to explain the importance of the blood supply to the brain. But what I do want to highlight to you is a fascinating survival adaptation, a built-in failsafe that protects cerebral blood flow. First of all, let's build up the basics and we'll come to the fascinating bit right at the end. So, 15% of all the blood that leaves your heart, your cardiac output, is dedicated to a squishy mass of neurons that lives in your skull, your brain. Now this is an enormously disproportionate amount given the fact that your brain makes up less than 2% of your body weight. And the reason for this is the metabolic rate of the brain tissue is so high it needs a good blood supply to meet its function. What is the blood supply then? Blood supply can be divided into an anterior and a posterior blood supply. The anterior circulation is provided by the internal carotid artery and the posterior blood supply is provided by the vertebral artery. Branches of these then form a circle on the underside of the brain that provides blood supply to the brain tissue itself. And we'll come back to that. Let's build up some detail first of all then. First, let's take the carotid system. An important concept for you to understand is there is no such thing as the carotid artery. So if you ever write down an exam, you'll be wrong. There are three types of carotids on each side. The common, the internal, and the external carotid arteries. And all these arteries begin their life inferiorly in the neck as the common carotid artery, hence the name. This passes up the neck, where high up at around the third and fourth cervical vertebrae, it bifurcates or splits into an external carotid supplying the superficial face and neck, and an internal carotid, supplying the internal structure of your skull, your brain. The latter, of course, is our focus today. And the internal carotid artery, after it bifurcates, passes up through the skull, through a little hole called the carotid canal. After it passes this region, it changes its name. It becomes the middle cerebral artery. And this is one of the first branches that forms the circle. Now, the middle cerebral artery supplies the mid parts of the brain. A clot or emboli in this is classically referred to as what you'd think of a classic stroke hemiparesis, or weakness down the one side of your face and limbs, and speech disturbance. Now the arteries don't stop there. From the middle cerebral artery, or MCA, you get a branch that forms and supplies the anterior part of the brain, called the anterior cerebral artery, or ACA. And remember, you have one on each side. And between the two ACA arteries that sit parallel to each other, there's a small communicating branch that forms the anterior part of your circle. And we'll come back to that also. What about the posterior supply then, those vertebral arteries? Well, they both branch off the corresponding right and left subclavian arteries and get their name as they travel posteriorly in the neck through the vertebra themselves. They then converge where they form the single basilar artery. And they do that after they pass through the large hole at the bottom of the skull aptly named the foramen magnum, which always makes me think of ice cream. 
Now, the basilar artery lies on the inferior surface of the brainstem, and at the end of the basilar artery, you have two branches that form the posterior part of our circle called the posterior cerebral arteries. And the pattern here is obvious. Whatever part of the brain they supply is what the corresponding anatomical term is. Add cerebral and you're on to a winner. Now, don't get confused by some of the other branches that exist here. There are some branches in this posterior circulation that go to the cerebellum, the little brain, and these are easily confused. They're termed things like the ica or the pica, which is the anterior inferior cerebellar artery or posterior inferior cerebellar artery. Catchy terms, right? We'll dedicate future talks to those. Right, now let's finish on the really interesting clinical parts. When an emboli or clot blocks one of these vessels, then the corresponding brain tissue that it supplies becomes ischemic. And depending on which part of the brain that is, you lose function. This is termed a stroke, or to give it its medical term, a cerebrovascular accident. Now, you have an adaptation that safeguards against this, a fail-safe. Underneath the brain, that nest of vessels we've described forms a circle called the Circle of Willis, named so after the eponymous discoverer Thomas Willis. A clot that blocks one of these vessels theoretically doesn't always cause ischemia. And the reason being is blood can just go the long way around the circle and as such protect function. Think of it very much like the diversion that you see when a road is blocked. When an artery is blocked, blood can theoretically go the long way around and so still gets to its destination. Now each person has a different variation of this and so some are more protected than others. Okay, and that's our first foray above the clavicle into the wonderful world of head and neck anatomy, which, in my opinion, is arguably the best part of anatomy. And I've just had an awful thought. Perhaps students are going to introduce this beeper into lectures to stop me rabbiting on. I'm going to have to hide the batteries. 